Welcome to the Empowered Women's Podcast. If you're looking for the answers around complex relationship, dating, marriage, and breakup issues, then keep it locked as this is your operation manual to relationship success. We are available to listen to on six different podcast platforms for you to stream, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, releasing a new show every Monday morning. We are one of the few relationship podcasts on the planet that interviews the most qualified relationship coaches, marriage counselors, authors on love, and psychologists around the world. If you have had enough of one toxic connection after another, then hit the subscribe or plus button to be the first to know when a new episode has been released. So last week I brought this guest on and we spoke about the connection between empaths and narcissism and narcissists specifically and why one tends to attract the other. And we really spoke a deep dive around empaths and the nature of empaths and controlling your emotions as an empath and why that's important. And then finally breaking karmic cycles. But now we're going to talk about how to move past attracting people that are just not good for us in a romantic sense. So what I suggest you do before you even continue on with this episode is go back and listen to episode 61 and then come back to this episode. Awesome. Now I'm going to introduce who we're bringing on. So her name is Jennifer Moore. She's an author of Amazon bestseller book, Empathic Mastery. She's the founder and headmistress of the Empathic Mastery Academy and Fairy Godmother Apprenticeship Program and the host of the Empathic Mastery Show podcast. She's a master trainer for EFT International and a mentor and healer for other highly sensitive empathic women. Intuitive from the get-go, Jennifer experienced her first prophetic dream when she was nine years old, and we talk about that in episode 61, so have a listen to that experience. And she's been navigating her extrasensory awareness ever since, supporting other intuitives, lightworkers, and creatives to use their abilities for good is Jen's greatest passion. So you can learn more about Jen at empathicmastery.com. Those details will be in the show notes below. So beautiful lady, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amanda. I cannot wait to get into it with you because I had such a good time talking with you in the previous episode. I know you and I are going to have a blast. So today, super interesting and likewise. Love your energy, girl. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to look at tapping EFT. Thanks, Gorge. Now, tapping EFT to work through relationship issues by shifting our thoughts, feelings, and energy. Now, tell us, what is EFT and tapping? Okay, so EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. Um, It also stands for Electronic Fund Transfer, but that's not the kind of EFT I'm talking about right now. Um, So, (laughs) Like an F-plus machine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques, and the simplest way to explain it is that it is kind of like a form of acupuncture, but without the needles. And it is a kind of, it's a technique that allows us to focus on and address mental stuff that's getting in our way, emotional stuff that's getting in our way, physical issues that are affecting us, cravings that are impacting us and affecting us, memories that are affecting us. Personally, I've yet to find something that I cannot apply EFT to in some form. 
It's also sometimes known as tapping, but mm -hmm. tapping is kind of a bit more of a broad term for sort of that idea. And basically, the way that it works is that we apply either literally tapping, which is why it's called tapping, where we apply, you know, sort of gently tap on endpoints of acupuncture or acupressure meridians on our body. Mm. And there is a number of places that are sort of the standard places that we tap on. Yeah. And by tapping on these, what we're doing is we are sort of, I almost think of it as like an ultrasonic cleaner that's just kind of shaking loose the stuff yep. that's kind of been kind of stuck in our energy field. And by thinking about the issue while we tap on these endpoints of our acupuncture meridians, we basically loosen up and free up energy that's been stuck in our body. But the other thing that EFT does is that it resets our fight or flight mechanism. Mm. So inside of our brain, there's a part of our brain that's called the amygdala, which yes. is this almond-shaped organ inside of our brain that's in control of fight, flight, freeze, or flop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as well as the response that females are more prone, prone to, or to, which is called fawning. Mm -hmm. But basically, the amygdala is the part of our brain that recognizes or that signals when we are in danger and basically s turns off like our rational brain, mm -hmm. puts on the tunnel vision and the blinders, and gets us out of harm's way. And mm -hmm. the way that our ancestors would respond to this was that we would either fight or we would flee. And sure. in rare cases yeah. where we had no choice, we'd freeze. The thing about this part of our brain is that the way that it reboots itself is by fighting or fleeing, mm -hmm. by action and movement and activity. Mm. We are now living in a time where most of our threats are existent are like they're like they're like existential threats. They're like it feels like a threat, but it's like you just got this nasty text message from your boss or mm. you know or you just got a letter in the mail from from the, you know, tax collector or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That does not cause you to go out and get into a fight or to run for, you know, miles and miles to get out of harm's way. And so mm. as a result, what it doesn't do is reset that mechanism in our brain. Mm. And so we've gotten into a habit as a culture of being in this perpetual state of like triggering, like danger Will Robinson that's going on in our bodies. Mm. And so the amygdala kind of stays open all the time. But by tapping... What we do is we give our body the message that we're okay, and we give our body the message that we can that that warning system can stand down. Yeah, and we are able to stop the amygdala from firing off these false signals, and or these maybe not false signals, but these old signals, like these signals that are just like to, but to stop firing off the danger signs, and instead let our bodies relax and basically allow our nervous system to re-regulate. Welcome to this short ad break. Not sure if you're aware, but I'm a personal trainer and have been for years now. So if you like the idea of training and being educated on how to eat for better health, then maybe it's time to hire me as your personal coach. 
you can start feeling confident, self-assured and healthy again so you can attract the best kinds of lovers and friendships into your life today. You can apply for online or face-to-face coaching with me where I will take you through a hybrid fitness system that covers the three pillars to success, where I take you through the deep work of mindset principles and help you achieve breakthroughs, guide you to understand meal preparation for your goals and customize your weight training program to help you build a healthy physique that you can be proud of. Find the application link in the show notes of this episode. Back to the show. Yeah, that's a long answer with a little bit of sciencey stuff in there for the people yeah. who like science about how it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, internet sort of cut out there, but that was yeah. The the most of that information was captured there, so that was really really good. Okay, cool. So, why are you such a fan of it? Because it changed my life. <laughs> um, because I, being, you know, being a former hot mess and world-class awfulizer, mm-hmm. I grew up in a family of very high-strung, very anxious, very easy to see the worst possible situation. And I grew up with, I also, something I've been reading about lately, so I've been listening to and reading this book lately called Mother Hunger by this woman, Kelly McDaniels, which if you have not checked it out, highly recommend it. But one of the things that Kelly's been talking about, which is confirming something that I've been, I was aware of, is that we, you know, one thing is that when we're born, born, we don't really have our own ability to regulate our nervous systems for the first couple of years of our life. Yeah. We are in relationship to our mothers and our nervous system is co-regulated with our moms. But not only are, are our nervous systems co-regulated with our moms when we're little, little kids, but also mm. when we're in utero, we are picking up all the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations, as well as the Um, stress hormones that are moving through our mother's body. And I would even go as far as saying that whenever our mother is thinking about something stressful or having a, a, you know, a triggering memory or any of that, when we are in her body, we are absorbing all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So for me, I came into this life really high strung and really, really stressed out and really in a state of just total fear. And I had karmic stuff, like I I had a deathly fear of fire because of, you know, what I recall as being burned at the stake before. Mm. So I came in with this terror about being persecuted again. Yeah. I also came in with all of this ancestral trauma because my, you know, especially my mother's side of the family were like, migrated Irish Catholics from the potato famine. Mm. So there was all of that stuff going on, as well as God only knows how many other stories of trauma go down my ancestral line. And then I came in with my own personality. Mm. So I was super anxious, super easily, you know, reacted really easily, was, you know, had a really, like, things could set me off. I could just go off into a tailspin. Mm. And I tried... Like breath work, I tried Reiki, I tried shamanic healing, I tried meditation, I tried affirmations. I mean, I have said more affirmations like, (laughs) I used to do this thing when I was a kid, or not a kid, a young adult, when I was first learning to be a healer, where 
I would record these personal customized affirmations on both sides of a cassette tape, like a 45 minute on each side, so like 90 minute cassette tape. And I would put it on and I had a special boom box because this was back in the days when there was no such thing as digital sound. It was all boom boxes. Yeah, yeah. I put it on a boom box that had the ability to flip the tape and like keep playing. So it would play back and forth mm-hmm. and I would have it on repeat. So all night I'm listening to these affirmations <laughs> of myself oh, God, trying to funny. convince myself of this stuff. Yeah. But I was, but the sadly, it didn't do me any good. What it actually did was it made me more stressed out because I was constantly saying things that I didn't even believe, that I wanted to believe. Like mm. they were aspirational, but they were definitely not real. Yeah. And so what happened was they just made me more and more anxious. So, I mean, I could just list a, a ton of different attempts and things and all of the different ways that I, I tried to do something. The one yeah. thing that did help was giving up sugar. The one thing that did make a difference for me was putting down sugar because sugar um, really affects my mood. It makes Mm. me very, very emotionally volatile and it makes me very, very sensitive. And so Mm. when I stopped that, it helped. When you say you quit sugar, sugar, because sugar can take many forms. Um, Yes, many forms. What exact sugars did you give up? So at first I gave up white processed sugar Mm -hmm. and I gave up like white breads and Mm. I actually very first happened to follow a food plan that was very similar to like the paleo um, keto diets that are around today where Mm -hmm. I basically gave up all processed food, I gave up all processed sugar, I gave up all grains, Mm -hmm. um, I gave up all like starchy vegetables and things like that Mm -hmm. and I didn't give up diet soda at the time or gum but but I basically... I had given up all of the forms that should like, so I was basically like the closest thing to quote sugar I was eating was I had some fruit and I had some starchy like carrots, you know, Mm. maybe like maybe a little bit of squash and that really, but, and that like, I, I played around with different things, but what I find is like, for me, I can tolerate a complex carbohydrate where there's like, a fair bit of like, it takes a bit of time for my body to process it and something that has a lot of fiber in it, Mm. but like straight up processed white cane sugar Mm. makes my body nuts. And Mm -hmm. it makes me very agitated, very like it, it really increases inflammation in my system. Sure. So at this point in time, I do sometimes, like, I'll consume a little bit of food, like, with coconut sugar in it. As a matter of fact, like, you you know, you and I talked about never my chocolate, (laughs) and I still do eat chocolate because chocolate is the food of the gods. I mean, it is literally the Latin word for chocolate is theobroma, which is, like, the food of the gods. So would you have dark chocolate over, say, say, like, dairy milk or a lot of chocolate? Because dark Um, chocolate's really good for you. You know, it really... it really depends on the quality of the chocolate. I tend to go for more of the like coconut milk in the chocolate, but my problem is I'm so sensitive to the caffeine at this point mm. in my life mm. that I kind of have to, I can't do a lot of dark chocolate. So I find I like a slightly 
lower percentage of chocolate. So I'll do something that might have like coconut milk in it. Rarely, I don't avoid dairy entirely, but it's mm. not something that I go out of my way to get in my diet either. Yeah. So, um, but most of the chocolate that I'm like, I, I've been really into this Dr. Bronner's chocolate that is like, it's a vegan chocolate that's got coconut milk and, and coconut mm. sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'll be inclined to do that. And I find, you know, a little bit of honey, a little bit of maple syrup, a little bit of coconut nectar yep. does not send me off yep. the way that processed sugar does. Yeah. Sounds similar to myself. I don't gravitate to, um, to white sugars, like white sugar, white bread. So my breads, if I do have them, have always got grains. The sugar I use mm -hmm. in my coffee, because I make my coffee over the stove like the Greeks do um, or the Turks, mm -hmm. and that coffee is actually, it's better for your, your stomach. It, the, the acid profile in that kind of coffee is good. So it's really smooth. Um, and then I'll look at what I do sort of have in terms of sugars, uh, if you want to call it sugar, is your fruits. Uh, and I usually just have bananas and mixed berries. Uh, that's like a staple for me. I will buy a couple of blocks of chocolate a week, but I don't go through them quick. They tend to last no. throughout the whole week, which is good. So exactly. I'm not, I don't tend to have cravings because everything else is really well. Um, dried prunes is something mm -hmm. else I'll have, which, you know, is a source of fibre that I like to have over, say, oats. Yeah. And then coconut water. There's sugar, there'd be some yes. sugars in that. But really natural, really natural base. If I put sugar in that, then there's going to be, I use the the sugarine, right, the, I call it fake sugar, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know. Yeah, I use, um, I, I will sweeten my, I, so I'm so sensitive to caffeine, unfortunately, that um, I drink decaf at this point in time, but I found a yeah. source that, you know, I found a really great source for organic decaf from a small a small roaster mm. from a state over from me. Um, mm. If anybody in the U.S., this company Dean's Beans, they make the best decaf I've ever found. But um, decaf's but, good. Uh, decaf I, I use still tastes I, the same. Mm. Decaf can be really good if it's processed yeah. right. Some decaf, eh, like you know, but some is really good. But yeah. I will use stevia or stevia. Yeah. To yeah. sweeten my to sweeten my coffee, and yeah. if I really want to have like a little bit of roundness to the flavor, I might throw in a little bit of coconut nectar. Mm. I actually have gone through periods in my life where my body, as an empath, I've been so sensitive to certain things that I've had to go through periods where, like, I went through a stage where I couldn't eat any fruit because I'd gotten so because I'd gotten so sensitive to sugar that it was like any time I'd eat fruit, I'd feel pukey like mm. within about an hour of having it. And I also went through a period where, I mean, I don't eat any gluten because gluten really sets my body off as well. Yeah. But I went through a period where I had to go completely grain-free for a number of years because if I ate grains within a, like within a week or two of eating grains, I would start feeling this incredible inflammation in my knees, in my hips, wow. um, in my body. Interestingly, though, what I will say is that the more work I have done to regulate my nervous system... Yeah. The more I can get away with eating like a little bit more like a normal person. Mm. So there's definitely a connection for me between the reactivity of my body and the health of my nervous system. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Okay. So now I want to talk about 
more in depth around tapping and EFT and how we can use that to break some of these karmic cycles with empaths attracting narcissists? I mean, there are so many different places and ways that we can be using EFT around this piece. And in many ways, like this is definitely a process, not a pill. (laughs) And it is something where, you know, it's kind of like EFT has a tendency to really help us to peel away the layers of the onion. But it also often will show us that there are many layers to the onion and that there's a lot of stuff that's going on. So one of the things that I would say is like the very first place where we might want to start in terms of thinking about EFT is how we can use it to calm our nervous system down and allow ourselves to go from being in a reactive state and being in a state where we're hijacked by our fight or flight mechanism to actually being able to be calmer, more grounded, and then as a result, be able to respond instead of react. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with relationships, I think one of the big challenges that happens is that as human beings, we trigger each other constantly mm-hmm. and we react to each other constantly, but we also interpret what other people are doing and saying through the lens of our previous experiences, through our karma, through our trauma and through our, and, and through our like ancestral legacies mm-hmm. and As a result, we will often misinterpret information, misinterpret energy, and really like translate something. Mm. Like we'll take things personally where we don't necessarily need to be taking it personally, but because of our history, because of our experience, that's what we end up doing is taking it really personally. Yeah. So just being able to recognize that we are in a snit, like that we got our panties in a wad, and that we are in a place where we are reacting to something, Mm -hmm. and using EFT to calm ourselves down Mm -hmm. is like a very first place to start. We also can use EFT to address and clear specific past events that are still haunting us and affecting us in terms of the way we are living, like what we're expecting to happen now. Because so often we are reacting not from the present moment, but from something that resembles the present moment from the past. Mm. And a lot of times the problem is because of the stuff that's in the past, we will often interpret something going on in the present inaccurately, but we'll also, we, we will also often react like, you know, we'll, we will react in, you know, like just in ways that is not quite right. And it often will either have us do like we will either engage, like get into a fight or get into an argument or misinterpret something or run away when we don't necessarily need to be running away. And I think that as empaths, when we're carrying a lot of past experiences, this is true for anybody, not just empaths, but when we're carrying a lot of past trauma around relationships, I think we tend to either, you know, I mean, there's attach, there's basic fundamental concepts of attachment. Attachment. You have people who are what is called avoidant attachment, mm-hmm. who tend to be the ones who 
avoid being in relationships and avoid like connecting. Mm -hmm. And then you have your anxious attachment, attachment people where it's like, if they're getting negative signals from somebody, they glom on even tighter and they Mm -hmm. double down on it. Mm -hmm. And the thing about EFT is that it does, it gives us the chance to take a pause, like to take a breath Mm. and to just let ourselves stop and then start asking ourselves if we really want what we really want what's really going on here am i interpreting this accurately mm-hmm. or am i you know am i responding to this from a place of being triggered or mm-hmm. from a place of total fear and you know like i mean what's really going on underneath the hood mm, super interesting can you give us an example of an emotional freedom technique. So someone comes to see you. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, I actually, I just wanted to, I'm going to pull up some questions actually that, uh, that I was just thinking about in terms of relationship. Yeah. Because I wanted to share this as sort of like, you know, I had, I'd be a, with the Empathic Mastery Academy right now, we're working on, we were working on the the quality of release. And one of the questions, like this is sort of the three, sort of four questions, but sort of the umbrella question is, is this an unresolved relationship issue? Mm. And then the second questions we could ask is, am I holding on to any resentments or anger towards someone? Mm. Is there anyone I feel uncomfortable just thinking about? Mm-hmm. And is there anyone I could forgive? So, you know, just really thinking about our relationship too. Like, what is going on? Am I, you know, what is going on within me? And so yeah. I really love starting with asking myself the question, as we were talking about yesterday or earlier yeah. on the you know, previous podcast, is this mine? Like, what's mm-hmm. mine? What's not mine? What's going on here? Mm. And let's just imagine, like, sometimes, and let's start with, like, let's start with you. You don't even have a clue. <laughs> like, you yes. just don't even know. You know, you're like, I just feel something. So what I find is that one of the best places to start is with our body. Mm-hmm. And just feel what's going on inside of our body. Now, this may be like, but what does this have to do with relationships? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, our self and our body is the absolute first and last relationship. Yeah. If we don't have a relationship where if we don't know ourselves, we cannot know anybody else. Mm-hmm. Because we cannot recognize what is what we are doing versus what they are doing. Yes. So knowing our body is like the very, very, very first step to knowing how to navigate relationships. Mm. So what I love to do is just, I like to just put my hands, one hand on my heart, one hand maybe over my navel on my belly, and just really like close my eyes and sink into my body and really ask myself, what's going on? What am I feeling? What am Mm. I experiencing? And interestingly, right before we jumped on, I could feel this sort of weird little twingy sensation kind of um, right on my right rib, kind of right above my liver. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm like, okay, so there's just this kind of little kind of pinging sensation that's going on in my liver right now. Mm. And so what I will do is then I'll sort of ask myself a couple more questions. Like I'll sort of like tune into it, like see if it has a color. If it had color, what would it be? Yeah. And when I tune into it, I can kind of see this sort of golden orange kind of color. And then I might even ask myself, like, if it had like a speed or, you know, like a, a kind of a vibration, what would it be? And this feels kind of like, as I tune into it, it's kind of like this, like it's, it's not fast, but it's kind of like this pulsing sensation. And so then I, and then I might even ask myself the question, if it had an emotion, what would it be? And immediately, and I find that when it comes to intuition, if you just ask the question, you'll get yeah. an answer. You mm. get an answer. What we do, though, again and again, as, a, as you know, is we dismiss it. We tell ourselves, oh, that's, it couldn't possibly be that. So Which, I immediately got an answer. Okay, now I'm going to ask you another question, right? Yeah. What are you like as an empath with the ability to hold a secret from someone you care about, knowing that this particular secret is something that they deserve to know, right? Do you struggle with containing the truth when you know it's going to hurt someone that you care about? Yeah, even though you say uh, someone else someone else has told you in confidence, please don't say anything because it's going to start trouble and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. But you know that this other person is completely blindsided and, you know, you care about them and feel, you know what, this just doesn't feel right in my body right now. They need to know. Do you struggle with holding the truth, withholding the truth, even though someone else has told you in confidence? Absolutely. I mean, but I will also say that I think it really varies in the situation and that this is one of those things where I think there's a lot of, there's like a spectrum. And, mm. you know, because the thing is, there's like the times where as an empath, what we absolutely need to do, and, and these are two of my favorite, favorite sayings. One is, not my circus, not my monkeys. Like seriously, not my circus, not my monkeys, not my problem. And also, your poor planning does not constitute my emergency. Because as empaths, here's the thing, as empaths, we feel better when other people feel better. Yes. We feel lousy when other people feel lousy. If we're not dealing with our own stuff, we will very frequently be rushing into rescue and meddling in situations because we don't want to feel lousy. Yeah. And yeah. we jump in to try to fix it. And so the first thing that I would be inclined to do with this is I would really look at what's motivating me with this. Yeah. Is yeah. it, you know, why do I feel the need to rescue this? Why do I feel the need to fix this problem? And if it is because I can't tolerate watching these two people go through their journey and through their own stuff, mm. then what I need to do is kind of double down on the not my circus, not my monkeys, and really remind myself that these are two consenting adults who have made this decision that, you know, that both of them have volunteered for the story, mm. and there's, and that, and then probably the other person may not be as innocent or as naive or like it's I mean in I don't know about you but in my experience there was always the writing on the wall and the stuff I've been ignoring there's always the things that like are happening with that other it's like there's red flags mm -hmm. so if you've got a friend who's coming to you and telling you 
hey there, I just did this awful, I'm cheating on, you know, I'm cheating on my girlfriend right now, and you know it and they don't know it. I honestly do think that there are certain kinds of red flags that are often happening that the person who is being is in the quote victim role mm. unquote is mm. often trying to kick like they're kicking the can down the road. Mm. And so a lot of times what I have to do is just be like, you know what? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Mm. I also for myself really have to question why am I being the person that is being confided in about a secret that is really like, uh, you know, abhorrent? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you, you know, why am I in that? Why have I agreed to accept or keep that secret for somebody? Yeah. You know, and that's something that comes up. But what I will also say is that for me, it's also about the boundaries of like, I mean, there's a couple pieces of this. One is for me, one of the questions I would have to have asked myself is, how did I get myself into the situation that I now know this? And I will say that one of the things I noticed when I was younger was that I, when I felt lonely, I would reach out to people and I would like let them vent to me because I was bored and lonely. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I had this behavior that often... If I was like driving in my car or I was doing something and I was feeling kind of like generally just a little fidgety, yep. I'd pick up the phone and I'd call somebody who would be who would be like the person who would be like blah 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 blah. Yeah. I would be exhausted by the end of the conversation, but what I realized was that they were never calling me. Mm. I was always calling them mm. and getting them to share their story mm-hmm. and I was like soliciting their woes. Mm -hmm. And that was like painfully, like that's a little embarrassing to realize that so much of the time when I was being the person that was like being vented to, it was because I had reached out and given them consent to do that. So I guess I'd really look at how did I find this information out? Did they seek me out? Did they ask me for permission to share this information? Did I seek them out? Like, how did it land? Mm-hmm. And then, so, so for me, the, for one of the first places is about what are my boundaries around this? But yep. then secondly, I guess what I would say is if I knew that somebody I cared about was doing something to somebody else that I cared about and it was really had the potential to cause them great harm. Like, for example, they were having unprotected sex. And one person was having unprotected sex and, and cheating, mm-hmm. and the other person did not know that. I would probably basically say, I'm going to give you a choice. Either you come clean and you tell this person that this is going on, or I am going to have to do that because this is causing could potentially cause grave harm, like life-threatening harm to this yeah. other person. Yeah. And therefore, I cannot let this sit. Like, this is not just a secret. This is an act that this is harmful to this other person. Well, and either you yeah. tell them yeah. or I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's sort of... Um, where I was alluding with that is, um, yeah, yeah. When you get put in a position where someone confides in you with a secret that you know that it look it could come out eventually, 
But in the meantime, the other person is being completely blindsided to the truth of what's really happening and that it's not only, um, well, essentially the facts are, are fake, right? So what what was being said was porky pies essentially right and you know when you put in a situation like that like here's a secret this is what's been said but the fact of the matter is what's being said is not true right so mm. yeah so that's very hard i would see that that would be a very hard situation to be put in the middle of that to then have to like go you know what as an empath, I just can't sit back and watch this because I can't sit and watch this person like rip their hair out, not knowing what's really going on. But deep down, you know, the middle person knows exactly what's happened. Yeah. So. Well, and and I also really, for me, getting, because the thing is being caught in the middle is a really messy place for us to be in. Mm. And Being caught in the middle, you know, because the problem with being in the middle is that inevitably we become the point of contention and we get it, stuff gets triangulated. And instead of it being about the two people looking at their dynamics and what's going on between the two of them, Mm. we become the focus. And so anytime I can step out of that role of being caught between them and point them back to each other and say, you need to talk to each other. You need yeah. to have this conversation with each other. Have you told them that you're feeling upset about this? Mm-hmm. Have you told them that you're frustrated about this? Have you asked for what you need? And just really t- turning it back on them. Like, if you're not happy, you need to let that person know. Why mm-hmm. are you afraid to let that person know? Mm-hmm. What is going on? But again, really inviting that person, like both people, like put on your big girl panties and like, like, deal. Yeah. And, and I, and, you know, because, but, and I will also say that as empaths, our job is not to rescue or fix the entire planet. Mm. And, and a lot of times, like the only way people learn is through, I, I mean, I think we can learn through joy and through delight and through play and through fun. But a lot of times for human beings, the only time, the only way we're going to make a change is if we get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And, if we stop doing the dumb stuff that we're doing. And if we intercede, if we as, a, as empaths jump in and meddle, what ends up happening is they don't learn their lesson, they don't change things themselves, and then mm-hmm. they blame us for making them have to change. And, I mean, things can go horribly sideways if you're talking about a dynamic where you've got, like, he said, you know, he he said, he said, she said, she said, or he said, she said, you know, or they said, they said. But when we have those yep. dynamics between people where, where, like, there's stuff going on there, so often I have seen if even when we're trying to do the best thing possible, if we try to interfe- intervene it can go sideways and we end up being the one basically who gets thrown under the bus. Mm. So I find it to be, it's kind of a painful thing, but on the other side of it, sort of like just, it's not like, like again, just let go, numb a monkey, numb a circus. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the advantages, advantages of EFT? So EFT and tapping, are they pretty much the same thing? 
Okay, so tapping is kind of a broader term for the yeah. whole concept of, you know, like using, you know, energy tapping. Yeah. And so, like, if you go online, you can find a lot of examples of, like, people, like, tapping on positive things. Like, I'm just going to tap in affirmations. No, no working on the stuff that's been going on. Just like, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm yeah. awesome. Yeah. The thing about EFT is that EFT, on the other hand, you know, was originally originally created by a man named Gary Craig. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are like with EFT International, and I'll speak as, as, a, as a trainer for EFT International, what we do is we use EFT very precisely and tapping very precisely in a way that allows us to address and clear emotional, mental, physical, energetic, wounds, congestion, you know, like, like places where the energy has been disrupted in our system. And, but it's very precise and it is very careful and it is very gentle. Whereas tapping can be kind of like, you can do like, you could like people like it's kind of a free for all with tapping. Like there aren't necessarily as many protocols there aren't necessarily as many rules and so somebody could just be tapping and kind of doing whatever Mm. and so but the thing is that even within the world of tapping in EFT there are a lot of people who just use the word EFT Mm -hmm. to refer to this sort of more loosey-goosey approach to tapping Mm -hmm. but so what I want to talk about today is much more of this precise way of using EFT that allows us to really address and clear the issues because one of the problems with like internet tapping and when somebody has like sort of tried tapping often is that tapping on affirmations if you've got a part of you that doesn't believe in it it's not gonna land and tapping or tapping on like general anxiety like does not usually clear the issue And so we have to know how to use it precisely in order to actually get the results that we really want. And a lot of times if somebody's just kind of checked it out online and they tried it maybe one or two times. On themselves, you mean? On themselves for, yeah, using it for themselves. They may or may not have had very effective results often because it's not specific enough, it's not precise enough, and it's not using their own language. Like one of the things is that, so I'll I'll share how it works Mm. actually right now, just kind of like the basics. So EFT is basically broken up into sort of three basic pieces of what Gary Craig would call the basic recipe. The first part is just identifying that there is something going on Mm. and either, you know, kind of recognizing it on a low level or recognizing it on a you know, like on a very, very, or not low, but broad level or on a much more specific level, but we know something's going on. The second part of that identifying is just evaluating the intensity of it and using a scale of zero to 10, how intense is it? With zero Mm -hmm. being no intensity at all, 10 being off the charts, you've never felt anything worse. Yeah. Just evaluating on what level of intensity are you experiencing? So that's the first step is just identify and rate. Yeah. The second step is doing what's called the setup, where we define the issue and we basically both state the problem and offer 
a neutral, something somewhere between a neutral to a positive alternative, which is called the balance statement. Mm. And that's where if you've ever been around tapping, we tap on the side of our hand and we do what's called the setup. Mm-hmm. Even though I have this problem, or even though I'm thinking about this thing, or even though I feel this weird pulsing sensation in under my my on my right rib cage right now. Mm. And then we have a balance statement. And the classic old school balance statement that Gary came up with what with was I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with that is that there are a lot of people out there who do not deeply and completely love and accept themselves. Yeah. And so as soon as you say that, you're going to immediately have pushback. And there's going to be immediately a part of you that's just going to be like, that is total BS. No, I don't agree with that. So what I have found is that, and and the way that within EFTI we've worked with it is that you don't have to follow a script. That the most important thing you can do is use your own words and use words that work for you. Yeah. So I will often use the balance statement, I'm open to the possibility that this can shift. Because I find that that is that that is something that most of us can agree to. So Mm. I often will use that as my balance statement. Yeah. And so we do that setup three times, and I reverse hands. So, you know, I'll start tapping on the side of, with my right fingers, my three, my index finger, my middle finger, and my ring finger, tapping on the side of my hand, Mm -hmm. of the left hand. And this is known as, it used to be called the karate chop point, but we changed the side of the hand because it's actually more accurate. Mm. And we just do the setup, even though I'm feeling this sensation, even though I'm worrying about my friend, even though blah, 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 I'm open to the possibility that this can shift. Yeah. Then I switch hands just to keep track of things, so I don't do it too many times. Yeah. I say the same thing and then go back to the right, you know, tapping on the left hand again. Yeah. And then that's what's called the setup statement. And then after that, what we do is we do what's called a round of tapping, going through the tapping points, using what's called a reminder phrase. Now, the thing about the reminder phrase, and this is where a lot of people kind of muddy the waters or kind of uh, mess, I I don't want to say mess up, but like add, overcomplicate the tapping. And that is that they tap on, they keep changing what they're saying as they go through the points. And so it's like, they say one thing here, another thing here. The most effective way to work with tapping often, especially in the beginning, is using what Gary refers to as the basic recipe, Mm. where instead of tapping on multiple different things that are all coming up, you pick one reminder phrase. Mm. So, for example... If you were feeling, um, you know, anxiety or anxiousness in the pit of your stomach, you would just say, this anxiety in the pit of my stomach, or this uneasy feeling, maybe you wouldn't even want to use the word anxiety, this uneasy feeling, this churning sensation in the pit of my stomach, Yeah. this churning sensation in the pit of my stomach. And so we go through all the points. Now, the points start... Some people will start on the eyebrow points. I personally like to start on the top of the head because it feels like everything cascades down from that. Yeah. So the first point is the top of the head. The next point is the what's called the eyebrow points, which are right at the top of the eye sockets, bridge of the nose, and where your eyebrows start. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're like Frida Kahlo and you have a unibrow. <laughs> then there's the side of the uh, eyes, which is like on the temples, like right 
where like just past your eyelids but kind of like right at the place where your upper eyelid and your lower eyelid meet yeah then there's under your eyes which is like right right on the eye socket again and right below the pupil your pupils then there's under the nose which is also known as the cupid's bow or the philtrum mm -hmm. so that little groove right here then there's under the lip which is between the you know sort of like the groove between your chin and your lip Mm -hmm. And then there's the collarbone points, which tend that kind of you find where your clavicle is, like the collarbone, and yep. then you kind of move your fingers down by about maybe an inch and over by about, you know, uh, half an inch and just kind of feel around until you feel sort of like just a slight tenderness and the collarbone yep. points are there. Yep. yep. And then under the arm is the last point in the sequence, and that is... Parallel sort of, unless, unless, you, unless you're a lady of a certain age, it's going to be parallel to your nipple yeah. and um, kind of like past the breast tissue right on the rib cage, parallel running perpendicular to your underarm yeah. and then back to the top of the head. Mm. And so that's one round of tapping. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you can see a therapist, the therapist will go in and um, tap you in these different places. Are they saying anything during yes. this process? Yes. Yeah, so usually, so if you're working with an EFT practitioner and the beautiful thing now is that, I mean, some people, some EFT practitioners are clinical therapists, but a lot of us are just EFT practitioners and might identify as coaches or mentors instead, or just as healers or energy healers or practitioners. Yeah. Because of the way the world has really shifted, it used to be that EFT practitioners would often like, you'd be in the office with them and they would literally tap on you. Yeah. Now, it's much more common for us to mirror that and to do what's called mirror tapping, where I tap on me, you tap on you. Mm. And I personally find that to be, I prefer that. I mm. like it better both as a practitioner and as a person receiving tapping. Mm. It feels much more comfortable to me to tap for myself or to let somebody tap on their body as like a surrogate or proxy for me on my mm. behalf if I'm feeling really, really sensitive. So obviously if you're working with a practitioner that can do this with you, this is something you can then do for yourself? What I would say is that we can absolutely tap for ourselves, for self-soothing, for cravings, for even sometimes for memories. Mm. There are certain things for a lot of us that you can't quite read the label from the inside of the jar, or if it's something that's really intense, Working with a skilled, accredited trauma, you know, like uh, like trauma-informed practitioner yeah. is, is a very helpful thing. Yeah. So, like, yeah. if you are, like, just a total hot mess and absolutely struggling with, like, you can, you know, and, and like, just thinking about a really difficult past experience is going to set, you know, is going to ruin your week, mm. then I would encourage you, encourage people, strongly encourage to find good, another, a good skilled practitioner. Mm. And I definitely want to recommend EFTinternational.org mm -hmm. as a really good place to find accredited, certified, like practitioners who've jumped through the hoops and know yeah. what they're doing. And the mm. thing is, EFT International is the largest nonprofit organization in the entire on the entire planet 
for EFT practitioners and we are the most, like we have very stringent standards. Mm -hmm. So if you go to find a practitioner on EFTI, you know that these are people who have worked with a mentor, who have been through a professional training and who have had to do at least 50 clinical sessions, Mm -hmm. take a test and write case studies in order to be able to be on that website. Sure. So So it's pretty full on. It's pretty full on. Mm. And, you know, we can absolutely do it for ourselves. But if there's something where you're just like, this just feels like, you know, a scary neighborhood to go in, a really good EFT practitioner knows how to keep the distance with all of it so that you can address and heal it without going anywhere near the memory. And that's the thing I love about EFT is that we can clear traumatic events without having to remember it, relive it, or redo it. Mm. And that's the thing. So many people are so afraid of doing the trauma healing work because they feel like if they do any of the work, they're going to have to open up that can of worms and they're going to have to look at all that crap again. Yeah. What I love about EFT is that we can use like a, we can use like true lies movie and we can address and heal and shift the things that are going on. Um, tell me a bit more about your book. I'm curious to know more about what you teach in that book. Okay. I will, I will try to keep it as fast and short and sweet as possible. So the yeah. book is broken into, so the Empathic Mastery, a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success, yeah. is a two-part book. Part one is talking about the what and the why of being an empath. Why are we this way? What does it mean to be this way? How deeply does this affect us? Mm. And like, like just talking about like things like a little bit about like, you know, mirror neurons and, and the ways that trauma affects our brain and inherited ancestral legacies and all that kind of fun stuff. Sure. The sec- as well as a lot of stories about the kind of hot mess situations I got myself into, <laughs> <You know? laughs> where I talk about examples of other people's lives and experiences as empaths and also my life and experience and just like sharing that. Yeah. The second part is the five-step system of empathic mastery, and that is the recognize, release, protect, connect, and act. And basically, it is the how. It is the how to work through it. There's a lot of information about tapping in the book. There's yeah. a lot of information about how to work with various techniques. Mm. The whole section on recognize is about really how to recognize what's going on for us. Why are we feeling this way? Is this mine? Is this not mine? And really, really getting clear about about sort of like, what's this all about? Second part, release, is all about releasing. And Mm. so we go into a lot of detail about EFT and tapping in it, as well as a lot of other techniques and tools for releasing energy and places where we're feeling we're feeling stuck and wounded. Yeah. Um, as well as picking up empathic distress. Then, you know, then we go into connect because the universe oh actually we go into protect because you know we need that protection. Mm. The reason I don't start with protection though is because if you don't deal with the stuff that you're already carrying, no amount of putting up like a filter and shield is going to protect you because mm. you already got the, the toxicity inside. Mm-hmm. So we have to release the negativity before before we can really put the filters and shields up and keep them working. Mm. So that's all about energetic protection and filters and shields and psychic self-defense. But it's also about logistic boundaries. It's like, 
I'm not going to answer that text message at 1130 at night from the drama queen. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like, no, these are my boundaries. So Mm. it's also about knowing what will we say yes to and what will we say no to. Then after we get to a place of protect, the universe abhors a vacuum. And the best way to keep negativity from coming back in is to replace it with something positive. So it's all about connecting with that power greater than ourselves. The universe, the Blessed Mother, God, Jesus, you know, like Buddha, any number or ways that we experience our higher power. It's yeah. about connecting with divine source and really refilling that vest ourselves with that positivity, that light, that love, that healing. Yeah. And then finally, the last step is act, which has to do with how do we live in the world as empowered empaths, as responsible mm. empaths, as empaths that are making a different choice about the way we live, what we do, and why we do it. And so act has got some, some you know, sort some real, like, you don't go there, little buckaroo. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of stuff about, like, what is, like, how do you do this right, as opposed to keep on getting yourself into one messy situation after another. So, that's the book. And uh, <laughs> She just read it's got a, chapter one of the entire book. <laughs> yeah. It's got, I mean, yeah. it has got a lot of resources, a yeah. lot of tools, a yeah. lot of information, and um, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. It's, you know, it's, and it's a book where you can sort of take it apart one little bit at a time and yeah. working with it, it can really, like, it's changed my life. Sounds and like I know, a manual, and, and like an operation. There. Yeah, it operation is like manual. an operation manual. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a textbook, you know, it's yeah. like... It's like, it's like you could, it's like the empath's Bible. Like you could really yeah. be taking this and working with it for the rest of your life. Okay. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that available on Audible or is it just hardcover? It Amazon? is available on Audible. Thank you so much for asking. And awesome. it's available on Spotify as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. You can get it. You can get it on all of the channels. Basically it is available anywhere that you can get a book. You can find this, um, or most anywhere you can get a book, you can find this. It's not just Amazon, but it's available in all countries, and it is available on Audible. It's available on Spotify, and it's uh, you know like Apple, you know Apple audiobooks, like all of the different audiobook places. And it's me, yours truly, reading the audiobook. Yep. Oh, awesome. It's my voice, and I knew, and I knew from the very beginning when I first started teaching the content that was going to go into the book that it was going to be an audiobook. It was like. I wrote the book because I had to write the book, but I always knew that what it was going to ultimately be was an audiobook. So, mm. if you like Kindles, you can get a Kindle if you or an ebook. If you like hard copies, you can either get like literally a hard cover or you can get a paperback. And if you love audiobooks like I do, which is my favorite way to consume a book generally, you can go over to any of your favorite audiobook platforms and get a copy of it. Amazing. You can find it over at empathicmasterybook.com. Yep. So on the website, there's a section that says book and it goes down and I'm assuming there's a little video there which might describe the book like you've just explained. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there will be a, uh, a I'm pretty sure there is a link here. I'm just on the website now. Oh, yep. So we've got oh, all, nice. the, all the links there to grab a copy of that book. I'm going to do the same for myself actually and grab a copy of that book. So, Jen, you really are a master. You weren't lying. You have 
completely blown my mind with your um, ability to just go in depth with everything that you know. And you're very, very passionate. So um, I am very passionate for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. people want to reach out to you. Um, you've got two links here. So we've got the website, which is empathic, empathicmastery.com. Mm-hmm. And also your Instagram is also Empathic Mastery. So again, I don't expect you guys to remember that. Go down in the show notes below and find that and connect with Jen and let her know what you thought of this episode. And also let her know if you decide to work with her that you've come from the podcast. But Jen, yeah, thanks again for jumping on. And thanks everyone for tuning in. If today's episode truly resonated with your current phase in life, please feel free to give us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this to your stories and tag me on Instagram so I can reshare it and let everyone else know that you loved it. My Instagram handle is at amanda.mfamary.mikaliff or mikaliff, however you choose to pronounce it. And just be sure to reach out to Jen and mention that you heard us through the podcast. Thanks so much for your time today, Jen. Oh, thank you, Amanda. This has been a blast.